everyone. Welcome to episode 13 of Coffee with the Queen. I'm Nicole. And I'm Cindy. And today we're myth-busting. So after we get some clarity on coffee's greatest legends, and I really feel like some of these have been handed down from generation to generation, like folklore. I remember my grandmother saying a few of these things. Uh, Cindy is going to share one of her greatest Halloween-ready, upcycled bag creations. If you're interested in learning more about anything mentioned in today's podcast, please visit our blog, coffeewiththequeen.com or our podcast site, coffeewiththequeen.podbean.com. We have links to everything covered today on both sites. Okay, Cindy, are you ready to unmask some of coffee's most persistent coffee myths? Sure. So there are a lot of false facts out there about how coffee affects your health. The topics range from serious illnesses to downright unquestionable myths. To start with, let's talk about coffee and cancer. True or false, does coffee cause cancer? That is a myth. I know there was a scare a couple years ago concerning acrylamide, but I think everyone can rest assured coffee does not cause cancer. In fact, numerous studies have determined that regular coffee consumption actually reduces one's risk of developing numerous types of cancers and debilitating diseases, including, but not limited to, colorectal cancer, liver cancer, breast cancer, endometrial cancer, as well as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. So the reason for this is twofold. First, coffee is one of the greatest if not the greatest source of antioxidants in most Western diets. And secondly, coffee reduces inflammation in both the body and the brain. So what about decaf coffee, Nicole? That's a great question. The decaffeination process does not impact antioxidants. So drinking decaffeinated coffee regularly is going to be just as beneficial to your body and protecting itself against cancer. Well, that's great to know because I would hate to think that people who switch to decaf for health reasons are then counteracting the effect. It's good to know. Yeah, no, no. No change in that. The only thing that's being removed during, or at least during natural decaffeination, is the caffeine chemical. Cool, cool. Okay, so there are other health concerns with coffee. What about heart problems? Truth or myth? Does coffee worsen or cause heart problems? Oh, that's a mega myth. While coffee can elevate your heart rate and pose a really slight risk to people already suffering from a heart disease, multiple, multiple studies have shown that drunk in moderation, coffee poses absolutely no risk to your heart. Uh, in fact, for those not suffering from a pre-existing heart condition, a 2018 study titled Coffee for Cardio Protection and Longevity, anyone want to go search for it, actually found that habitual coffee consumption lowers one's risk of suffering from a variety of adverse cardiovascular issues, including death, coronary heart disease, congestive heart failure, and stroke. The same study also found that coffee's effects on arrhythmias and hypertension is neutral. Yay, coffee. Yeah, that's also a good one to clean up because I've heard a lot of the people say out loud that they can't have coffee because of their heart. So I'm glad yeah. we've gotten that clarified. Yeah, that's another big one out there. But I've also heard a lot about coffee and cholesterol. So myth or fact, does coffee increase your bad cholesterol level? Ooh, that one's tricky. And that one's actually conditionally true, but completely dependent on how you actually brew your coffee. So the way you brew your coffee determines whether or not your coffee will contain LDL cholesterol. So naturally, coffee contains terpenes, which we in the coffee world more commonly refer to as oils. And these oils or terpenes can elevate LDL cholesterol. So terpenes release during brewing, but they're easily removed when you use a coffee filter. So the paper coffee filter works best. Generally, drip coffee or any coffee that uses a paper filter, I can't think of any other coffee that uses a paper filter aside from drip coffee, but if you're using a paper filter to brew your coffee, that will remove the terpenes or the oils. However, if you're using an immersion or pressure brewed method, such as a French press, cold brew, espresso, or stovetop espresso, 
those coffees can have terpenes in them because I drink French press coffee regularly. If I look at the, the top of my French press cup, I can actually see the oil swirls right in the coffee. So if you're looking at your coffee and you can actually see that oil ring or the, that layer of oils right on sitting on top of your coffee, your coffee has terpenes or could be negatively impacting your LDL cholesterol. But if you don't see that, you see a nice clear top, which you will see with a, a drip brewed coffee using a paper filter, that should not have any terpenes or anything that will negatively impact LDL cholesterol. Well, yeah, exactly. I also have seen that sort of oily film on the top of my French press. So that's a really, really cool fact. But isn't it true you have to watch the kind of filter you use? Like there are natural filters, you need to make sure it's a not processed filter. Well, any kind of paper filter will take out the terpenes or the oils, but non-natural paper filter could leach other chemicals into your coffee that you don't want (laughs) or other fibers. So I always recommend using a natural or organic filter. And then they also have um, different kind of filters that are like gold filters and other types of cone filters. And they remove some of the oils, but they're not as effective as the regular paper filter. Good tip. Good tip. So even if you use a gold filter, if you have a cholesterol issue, you should put a natural paper filter in your gold filter before you brew. Yes, I would. That would just be that extra layer of protection. Okay, great. So I have another one for you. And this is one of my favorites. True or false? Coffee stunts your growth and can lead to osteoporosis. <laughs> As a myth, my grandmother used to think that even though, you know, she gave me coffee from the time I was five. So while it's true that coffee facilitates calcium excretion, studies have shown that the loss is too small to impact bone health or height. So that's a myth. I feel like grandmas tell that myth. Yeah, and I think that's a really famous myth because my grandmother also said that. She would <laughs> give me coffee and then slap my wrist, tell me I'm drinking too much coffee. <laughs> yeah. I think my grandmother was very tall. And I, I am. want me to be tall. <laughs> so. Oh, that's hilarious. I'm only five foot one and a half. So, you know, it would be hard for me to fight back as an adult and say, Grandma, that's not true. She'd be like, look in the mirror. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I'm probably the height that I, I was supposed to be. But my grandmother was five eight or five ten. She was very tall for her time. And she hated being tall. Wow. She, she soared over the men. So she, you know. <laughs> She she told me that, but she also started giving me coffee <laughs> and milk when I was five because she thought it'd be better to be shorter. So, but it's not oh true. Oh my god, that's so funny, Nicole. <laughs> so there's also a lot of stuff out there about coffee and stomach health. Can you help separate the myths from the truths for us? I don't know. I guess we're gonna find out. It depends what you ask me. Well, does coffee cause stomach ulcers? That's a myth. Coffee is a mild laxative, and while consuming too much in too short of a period of time, can give you a stomach ache. Research published by the U.S. National Institute of Health determined that coffee does not trigger, cause, or have any association with gastric ulcers. Phew. <laughs> I know. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Ditto. Uh, what about acid reflux? So, no, not quite. While coffee in and of itself does not cause acid reflux, highly acidic or highly caffeinated coffees can loosen the lower esophageal sphincter, thereby increase the risk of experiencing acid reflux. So every coffee has unique acidity and some regions and processing methods produce really low acid coffees while others naturally produce very high acid coffees. If anyone listening suffers from acid reflux, I would recommend they look for a low acid, low caffeine coffee, such as a darker Sumatra. So no, it won't cause it, but it could aggravate acid reflux. So maybe that's my uh, stomach that has caused me to uh, drift towards dark roasts because <laughs> I have stomach problems and I tend to like dark roast. Yeah, it definitely could. Maybe it could it's just serendipitous. Thing. Yeah, and I like the opposite. I love highly acidic things. I love lemon. I love vinegar. And I love really bright acidic coffees. So 
Yes, could definitely be. Your body telling you like, this is better for me. I like it. Give me dark roast. I like that. I like that. (laughs) So I have a few more for you that we've all heard. First, does coffee cause dehydration? Oh, gosh. No, that's a myth. Everybody listen. It's a myth. So unless you're a serious coffee addict with a near-fatal coffee addiction, you're drinking 100 cups a day, coffee is not going to impact your hydration in any way. Coffee is a diuretic, but it's been proven that coffee does not cause or exacerbate dehydration. Again, unless you're drinking like hundreds of cups a day, but then in that case, you're like right, you're teetering on death. So for most of us, no. Yeah. Wouldn't that also perhaps lead to some sort of psychotic hallucination if you're, yeah. if you're drinking hundreds of cups a day? Yeah. Yeah. If somebody wants to play a nice Halloween joke on themselves, they should really kind of up their coffee for a day, you know, like get up to 10 or 12 cups and good shot. They'll start hallucinating and hearing things. So that's your, so if you're hearing things that are hallucinating after you drink coffee. That's probably a good sign that you're over consuming and you might be pushing that line where you're moving towards dehydration. <laughs> I mean, I also read that for this dehydration myth that actually the amount of water that's in the cup of coffee pretty much offsets any sort of dehydration effect that the coffee might be having. Yeah, no, it's true because coffee is 99% water. <laughs> right. It, it's going to be as hydrating as probably any drink that has like other electrolytes or anything else that can be slightly, you know, change your balance. But it's not, it's not a dehydrant. Uh, I have another one for you, and this is one of my favorite misunderstood facts. Myth or truth, pregnant women can't drink coffee. Oh, that's another myth. Okay, so I think, I, mean, I think you and I are case in point proof that expecting women can still sip their favorite coffee and produce healthy, you know, fun kids. Completely normal. For those of you who don't want to take my word on this, and you know, you've listened to too many of our spill of beans, we have a far more reputable source, which is the <laughs> American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. She's laughing at me right now. And they've determined that it's safe for expecting women to consume up to 200 milligrams of caffeine per day, which is approximately a 12-ounce cup of caffeinated Arabica coffee. As a fun little note, regular roasted Arabica coffee generally only contains 2 to 3% caffeine, whereas a roasted decaf Arabica generally only contains between 0.5 and 2% caffeine. So we're not talking about massive amounts of caffeine here anyway, if you're using a really high quality coffee. But for any expecting or new mom, or it's a real coffee addict out there, I know you guys need coffee. If you want to extend your coffee consumption, you may be able to get an extra cup in there if you swap out some of your regular for a dark roast decaf and kind of play with those percentages. Well, I think this is one of the best myths to clear up. Because there's nothing worse, I would think, than to be pregnant and deal with all those other changes in your body and also not be able to have that one cup of coffee if you want it. So I am so happy to report to my pregnant girlfriends out there that if you want to have that morning cup of coffee, you still can. Yeah, I think the key is just, you know, make sure you're using a high quality coffee because the higher the quality of the coffee, generally the less caffeine is actually present in the coffee. Good to know. Good to know. So, Nicole, we have talked a lot about myths relating to coffee and health, but there are also a lot of incorrect knowledge out there about the coffee itself. Mm-hmm. Off the top of my head, I know many p- people believe that all coffees contain the same amount of caffeine. Is that a myth or is that a fact? That's a myth. Coffee's caffeine content is a product of many things, including species, variety, roast, and processing. First off, species, and I won't harp on this because I know we've talked about it before. There are two primary species of coffee, Arabica and Robusta. So Robusta beans have more caffeine than Arabica beans. And generally, 
A robusted bean contains anywhere between 2.2 and 2.7% caffeine versus an Arabica's 1.2 to 1.5. This is like a general average within Arabica species. Processing and roast also impact caffeine content. Naturally processed beans have a higher caffeine content than beans processed with any other method. And then in terms of for roast, lighter roast beans tend to have more caffeine than darker roast beans as caffeine is burned off during the roasting process. Decaf actually has caffeine. <laughs> I think people always think that decaf is caffeine-free, but it actually, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, decaf still has a little bit of caffeine. While most high-quality decafs can be anywhere from 98 to 99.5% caffeine-free, a coffee is actually considered, in the, in the broad coffee world, and this is also going to include Robusta, it's considered decaffeinated at 97% caffeine-free. It gets a little tricky with decaf, but your decaf, this is going to contain just a little bit of caffeine, even if it's you know, 0.5%. Tricky. Well, sometimes a little bit of something is better than nothing. I agree. <laughs> so I have another one for you. Many people believe that the darker the coffee, the more caffeine it contains. Myth or truth? Oh, God. That is a myth. That's false. This is one of the things we hear so often and it's hard to explain to people that this is like a apples to orange comparison when you're talking about strength and roast. So dark is a roast characteristic and strength is a characteristic of extraction, which would also be referred to as the grounds to water ratio used when brewing. So the higher the ratio of grounds to water, the more concentrated the extraction and the stronger the coffee will taste. The lower the ratio, the weaker the extraction, the weaker the coffee will taste. So any coffee can be brewed strong or weak, but a dark roast can only be dark. True, true. But isn't it also true that caffeine is burnt off with every crack of the bean? So by its nature, dark roast has less caffeine than light roast for the same amount of coffee. That's true. At least in this definition that I was using, the caffeine has no relation to the strength. It's really just like how it feels in your mouth. Right. But I think that this is the heart of this myth because people are confusing strong and dark. Oh, got it. Say you're going to go to the clean bean because all of our coffee is of the same grade. It's all the highest level Arabica. Our dark roasts have less caffeine than our light roasts because caffeine is burned off during the roasting process. Okay, great. I think that really helps to clarify that. Cool. So I have another one. Okay. Do freshly roasted beans really make the best coffee? Myth or truth? That's a myth. So coffee naturally develops CO2 during the roasting process, and that CO2 needs to, to basically degas or leave the bean before you can drink it. So coffee that's ground and drunk right after roasting is actually gross. It's sour, it's ripe, and it, it can taste and smell very grassy. Typically, degassing beans takes anywhere from 24 hours to two weeks, depending on the roast, the degassing process, and the packaging. Coffee left in open bin will degas rapidly, while coffee is degassed in a controlled environment. And immediately transferred to valve sealed bags, degas very, very slowly. So if you're talking about a coffee that's degassing in an open bin, like if you go to a really small roaster, they don't have degassing bins. All their roasted coffee is sitting in barrels. Freshness is going to be directly correlated to roast date in that sense, because every minute they're sitting there past that 24 hours, those beans are losing a lot of CO2. But if you're talking about coffee that's degassing in a more controlled environment, what we do, we have bins. Those beans don't meet air until you open your bag. Those bags can easily stay fresh from anywhere from three to six months. So actually with our coffees, the very first time I open a bag, I actually 
grind the beans anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour before brewing to give them extra oxygen exposure is we only degassed to probably about 80 to 85 percent. So if any queen bean customers out there and those coffee customers are listening, the first time you grind your beans and brew, you'll probably notice a whole bunch of bubbles at the top of your pot. Or if you're, well, I guess you'd only see this really if you have a pour over, but you'll see a whole bunch of bubbles go into your grounds and that's the CO2 releasing part of the bloom. Yeah, I was about to say when you pour your morning cup and you see those bubbles on the top of the cup, that's the CO2. Yeah, that's a sign that it's fresh. Okay, so we've clarified the myth about freshly roasted beans and brewing. So my next question comes right out of that. Is there actually a best way to brew it, myth or truth? That's definitely a myth. Well, there are many great ways to brew. Brew method preference is much like coffee roaster texture preference. Different brew methods will highlight different aspects of a coffee. So drip brewers, for example, tend to produce coffee with a lighter mouthfeel and brighter upper notes, while immersion brewers, which is common being French press, tends to produce coffee that's heavier on the mouth and really highlights the deep, rich base notes. So they're all equally delicious. It really just comes down to personal preference, kind of like spice or sour. Like, you know, do you like sweet, sour, spice? The same difference with brewing. Okay, so really the, the takeaway from that is to experiment with types of brewing and see which one works best for you. Yeah, yeah, the best way. Great. So I think we've covered health myths and we've covered coffee bean myths, but there are also a lot of incorrect facts about espresso. It has been miscategorized. It has been misunderstood. And I thought this would be a good time to clear up some of these misconceptions. So true or false, espresso has more caffeine than a regular cup of coffee. Ooh, that's... False. That's a myth. So assuming both espresso and coffee are 100% Arabica beans or blend, a single shot of espresso has less caffeine, so typically only 30 to 50 milligrams of caffeine, um, than an 8-ounce cup of coffee, which typically has 65 to 120 milligrams. So, And this actually ties back to the roast versus strength question you posed earlier. So espresso is generally really strong, but it's not necessarily dark. In fact, many, many espressos, and people don't know this, are actually a full city roast, which is the darkest of our medium roasts. Right. And didn't espresso you used to be cut with a robusta a lot, which might be why people yeah, believe a lot of, this? Yeah, that's true. A lot of companies actually still do that. So they'll either have a 50-50 Arabica robusta or they like eight. They'll, they'll split it. But you get that little bit of a kick or, you know, for me, I call it the shakes. <laughs> like I get, I'll take a sip of it and my whole body just kind of, like I can feel every nerve end. And that would be the Robusta, which will come across as being stronger and kind of like giving you a kick. I have another one. Myth or truth? Espresso is a type of coffee. That's a myth and probably one of the biggest ones out there. Espresso is actually a drink that's made from a pressurized brewer. So specifically an espresso machine, but it can also be a coffee blend. So most often the blend used to create an espresso drink would be espresso. But you can also use an espresso blend to brew a regular pot of coffee. And to make this more complicated, any coffee can be used to make an espresso. So we often recommend people who really like dark roast espresso will recommend they use our Italian roast, our French roast, or Sumatra. And then espresso blends can vary, as we were just mentioning, they can vary from roaster to roaster. And there's no specific combination or combination of coffees, a specific roast that needs to be included for something to be considered an espresso blend. It's really up to the roasters. It's kind of like a wild west of coffee. And finally, espresso is also often referred to as a grind. It's not technically true. 
In reality, we call it an espresso grind, but it's really just a fine grind that could be used for anything else. So when you say espresso grind, you're really just talking about a very fine grind. In terms of a definition, espresso is only a coffee drink. We just kind of repurposed it. Right. I like to brew it in my drip brewer. And I also make espresso out of many of our roasts, including our flavored roasts when I'm experimenting with recipes. So the one thing that I always hold constant is the grind I use for my espresso maker. Yes, well, that because that'll give you the right kind of extraction for your espresso machine. Does that make sense? Thanks, Nicole. So I think that wraps up all of my myth or truth questions for today. Is there anything else that you wanted to add to our discussion? No, I think that you covered some of the biggest ones that I actually covered all of them that I can think of. So <laughs> I'm good. So I think it might be a great time to move on to your latest creation, which uh, you showed me yesterday. It looks really exciting. I think anyone who enjoys Halloween should stay on and, and keep listening. Do you want to share it with us? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Nicole. So I often try out new coffees and they tend to be packaged in these adorable small paper coffee bags. But once the bag is empty, I like to reuse them. I love to upcycle things, and I like to find new purposes for old items. And these wonderful do-it-yourself paper bag luminarias that I came up with can be made from the small artisan coffee bags that you often get when you buy small quantities of coffee. This is a really great way to express your individuality and to add some charm to your garden or your front walkway. They can be hung from hooks. They can be lined up on the ground. You can use stencils, stamps, hole punchers, or you can even let your inner artiste shine and try to freehand a design on the bag. After you've put your design on the bag, all you have to do is cut it out and then put a candle inside. And you have a beautiful, it's essentially like a jack-o'-lantern, but in a paper bag. Even better is that you can involve the whole family with this project. You can get the kids around the table, take your little paper bags, cut out any design you want, and then line the front porch with them. It's a super fun project. The resulting lanterns are truly one of a kind, and they make great seasonal. It doesn't have to be Halloween, so it could be any time decorations. So I've included the instructions to make these luminarias on the blog, coffeewiththequeen.com. And as always, if you try it out, would you please let us know how it goes and share your results? Because I would love to see some of your individual designs. And with that, I'll turn it back to Nicole. Yeah, no, they're really, really cute. If anyone hasn't seen them on our blog yet, uh, they're really cute. And I think anyone would have fun. I mean, I'd rather do that than carve a pumpkin because it's easier and you don't get messy. And I, I can't carve a pumpkin, actually. Like, I'm worst person. If I don't know why, I think I don't have the hand strength. So I think those are really cute. So if anyone has anyone like me in their family or if you're like me and you have, find it really difficult to cover pumpkin, these are great and they're really cute. So this concludes episode 13 of Coffee with the Queen. Thank you guys for joining us. And again, links to everything we discussed in today's episode are available on our blog, coffeewiththequeen.com and on our podcast site, coffeewiththequeen.podbean.com. If you like this podcast, please let us know by giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And if you have any feedback or topics you'd like to discuss, we'd really love to hear about them. Please email us at infowiththequeenbean.com. Finally, to learn more about our coffee or us, please visit our website, thequeenbean.com. Thank you, and I hope you guys are all getting ready for a great October. Thanks, guys. I hope you're having a wonderful start to the autumn season. See you next time. <laughs>